So as I've shared with you, we have, uh, if you've not been with us or not been with us for a while, last week we concluded our tour through the New Testament. Um, and I just want to say just a little bit about that. Um, we read what was called the uh, Immerse, the Bible reading experience, and we read the Messiah. Um, so it was the New Testament. In 40 days, we read through the New Testament together. I have the other books of the Old Testament, which we will be at some point uh, pursuing as well. But I, I want to tell you something about what this did for me personally. Um, I'm actually going to share kind of a wrap-up of this, but um, your reception, first of all, of... Uh, reading through the scriptures together has just been, for me, just fantastic. As a pastor, you know the whole uh, un, unspeakable joy kind of a deal? Um, we distributed 140 Bibles um, for the Immerse Bible Reading Challenge. And um, beyond that, we've just had to order another 20 or 25 because people are still asking for them after we're done with the challenge. They want to give them away. They want to do this. They want to do that. So I've, like, as I shared with you, I've had pastors kind of roll their eyes like, oh, you're going to do the New Testament in 40 days. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, guess what? I got 140 people reading along with me. So yeah, and I don't care. So bring that on. I'll take that. And in my heart, it is just, it's left me just so filled up because you're taking the word in. And I don't, as long as we're taking the word in, folks, that's where we're going to grow. That's where we're going to grow. Every one of us, not just you, every one of us, myself included. It left me with some direction for the future, some things that I want to teach. Um, and I'll break the ice to you now. We're not going to do this right away, but very soon. Um, we're going to break into the book of Revelation. I'm going to do that for two reasons. The first reason is because somebody said to me, what is the book you've preached out of the least? And without hesitation, without question, without thinking about it, I said, Revelation, because I just haven't. And you know what? It's time. After 40 years, it's time. Um, the second reason, and maybe the most important reason, is because of the trepidation that you all had to read the book of Revelation. I can't tell you how many people said, well, you know, I kind of wanted to read the book. I don't know. I never really wanted to read Revelation. It's kind of scary. Is it kind of scary? It kind of seems kind of scary to me. Revelation's kind of scary to me. And so here's what Paul, uh, the writer, I'm sorry, John, the writer of Revelation says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and I believe this is inspired of the Holy Spirit. God blesses those who read the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So I believe, you may call me silly, but I believe that if God says he's going to bless those who read it and who understand it, then we ought to be able to read it and understand it, right? That kind of makes sense if God sets it up that way. And so um, probably not next week, but very soon we will be breaking into the book of Revelation and we'll spend several weeks covering that. So I want to prepare you for it. Read it. Open it up. Take a look at it. Read it in the immerse. Read it in the Bible that you generally study in. Um, go through it. Get it in your heart because I think God has an awful lot to say to us. Some things that are are obvious some things that are not obvious. You can only imagine the writer uh, of 
of the book of Revelation 2,000 plus years ago trying to write about what a tank might look like or what a car might look like. I mean, how is he going to describe that 2,000 years ago being as there wasn't a tank or a car or what, what, what is this thing? So I, I want to break into that. And again, I think there are some things that, that uh, Revelation has, has its own outline. I don't even have to come up with an outline. It has its own un- outline. So I believe that is something that will be uh, uh, a wonderful thing for us as a church congregation. So again, just, just prepare yourself for that. We have a special announcement this morning. Actually, we've got a little special guest. Uh, Jenna Seberg is going to come and, and join us here for a, a couple of minutes. She called me this week and asked if she could uh, make an announcement. So I thought, sure, let's get you on up here. So for those of you who don't know, this is uh, John and Heather Seberg's daughter. Jenna, give her a warm hand. Hello. Yeah, I grew up going to this church, so I'm happy to be here. Um, So I work for Lutheran Social Services, and I am a foster care coordinator there. Um, And last week, I was on a call with some people from around Minnesota, and they said, you know, we really need foster care parents um, partnered with us in Detroit Lakes. And part of my job is going to different churches and talking about foster care and trying to get people who would be willing to sign up. And I said, well, I know a church in DL that I could go and, you know, kind of give a brief overview of what it might look like. Um, So uh, long story short, foster care is really needed, especially in Detroit Lakes. We have a lot of kids who really need homes. Um, and I mean, I just placed two six-month babies last week, um, and they're so sweet, and they just need people to love them. Um, there's so many kids that could really benefit from just having um, stable adults, stable routine in their life. Um, with that, we Lutheran Social Services is a really cool organization because it is Christian-based, and it also offers in-home therapy all in-house. So we have two family therapists who will do therapy with you and the kids all right there. Um, you'll get to be a part of a, you know, the kids will get to be a part of that. Um, I also get to walk you through the entire licensing process. Um, so if you call me, we could grab coffee, we could talk more about it. Um, and then if it's something you're still interested in, we can take it step by step, and I'll take you training through training <laughs> until you're ready to hopefully have a placement. Um, not only that, but placement doesn't have to be something that's long-term and results in adoption. Um, we really emphasize the importance of reunification, so it could just be for a weekend. You know, maybe foster care parents need a break or are going on a weekend trip, and they just need someone who's willing to step up and say, hey, they can come hang out with me for a weekend. Um, it's actually really cool because I've seen some teenagers who go and stay at a respite home, um, a weekend home, and at the end of it, they're like, they kind of feel like a big brother, big sister, like, I feel like it's a second home, um, and then when the parents decide to go on another trip or something happens, comes up, they want to go back to that home and see them again and play Monopoly and all, you know, those kind of things. But if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'd love to meet up with you or just meet over the phone, and we can talk more about foster care. So, yeah, that's it. Have some folks in our congregation who got hooked on foster care a number of years ago, and they didn't want any ankle biters, quote-unquote, and ended up with over 200 foster children. Can I give one testimony? Where's Jim Hokinson? Can I give a testimony? Can I tell on you? I'm gonna. How's that? Okay. 
We recently did a funeral here. I don't remember. We recently did a lot of funerals here. Um, but one funeral in particular, as uh, Jim was helping, I was helping Jim clean up the chairs. We were sitting right back about where Mike's at. And um, a young lady, probably in her 30s, came up and addressed Jim, said, hey, do you remember me? And I'm watching Jim scramble through the Rolodex in his head going, no, 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 no. I don't have to come up with a name. Do I have to come up with a name? And she finally introduced herself, and she was one of their foster kids from decades ago, literally, and let him know that the time in their family was one of the best periods of her life. And um, she was at this funeral with her kids, and her husband, I believe, was home with their foster kids. So, so thanks for serving our community, because that's what we're doing, is we're, if you're a believer, then you're here to dispense Christ to kids in need. That's what that's about. So, Anyhow, I did not ask Jim if I could do that, but I did it, and yes. It wasn't 200 kids through their home, it was four, let's be clear. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. You got to think about that for just a second, okay? I mean, you got to really think about that for a second, because that's 400 kids in this community that had If nothing else, they had a seed of Christ planted in their life for just a short period of time. Maybe it was for a week, maybe it was for a year, maybe it was for five years. But there are 400 now adults, young adults, that had the seed of Christ planted in their life because believers were willing to step up and say, we can do something about it. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to finish your commercial, but I hope it, I hope it goes together. I'll go to the next church with you too. How's that? Or maybe I'll, I'll send Jim with you. <laughs> and Jane, as I was uh, preparing for this message, you know, throughout the week people will, hey, you got one lined up for us this weekend, and Monday I had to say no, and Tuesday I had to say no, and Wednesday I'm thinking, Lord, please speak, because I don't have what I think I need this week. And I woke up Thursday morning <clears throat> thinking about um, our ex- our Bible reading experience and um, what that has meant for me and and every week uh, we took uh, w- the opportunity to say okay what what spoke to you this week and several of you have joined in and participated in that and that's wonderful and so as I was laying in bed uh, the other morning I-, I felt like okay Lord what what really jumped out at me how do I summarize how do I encapsulize or encapsulate what we have talked about for the last 40 days. And a passage came to me out of the book of Acts. And so I want to read to you from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Acts. As we, we talked about before, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, all talked about Jesus and, and up leading kind of up to his death, even his burial and his resurrection. And then the epistles talk about the church 
age and what, what was going on in the church after that. But Acts is really about the birth of the church. It's a very unique book, historically speaking and scripturally speaking. And let's read what Acts chapter 17 says. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis, you know what, I practice these words, uh, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Okay, Thessalonica is where we get the book of Thessalonians from. Okay, Paul was in Thessalonica, and that's the, the, the book of Thessalonians, where uh, there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, get this, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So on three, I don't care whether you think the Sabbath day is Saturday or Sunday, it was a minimum of 14 days, because he went in on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday, and then he spent the week the next Saturday or Sunday, and then... At, but maybe as much as, as long as 21 days, Paul was there reasoning with them about the life of Christ, how important Christ was, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This Jesus, Paul says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. So look at what Paul is doing here. Paul is making a difference in his community. He's taking these people that had very strong Jewish traditional beliefs. You have to do A, B, and C. You have to follow the law. You've got to do all of these things. Actually, it was A, B, and C, but 630 sometimes, I believe it was. All these rules and regulations that they had to go through. And Paul is saying, the Messiah that we're looking for has come. He's already here. You don't need to keep looking for him. As a matter of fact, God wants to set you free from all those regulations. That's not going to get you to heaven anyhow. By the way, my shirt says, uh, heaven is my home. I'm just here recruiting. <laughs> I think that's what Paul was doing too. He was recruiting. He was here recruiting. I think that's what the book of Acts is all about. It was about recruiting. So Paul here is challenging the norm. Okay, they, we move on. They rushed, they rushed. Who's they? This is the mob. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did, they could not find them. They rushed to Jason's house. They're going to drag these guys outside because they want to reveal, these are the guys who are messing with us. These are the guys who are changing everything. As a matter of fact, that's what they say, but they could not find him. They dragged Jason and some other believers uh, before the city officials shouting, these men, uh, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Can you imagine just telling the story of Jesus was considered causing trouble all over the world? They're, they're tearing up the world. They're causing. One translation says they've flipped the world upside down. Right? I think if you get Jesus involved, you're turning the world right side up. Just my interpretation, but there you go. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, 
And then they made Jason and the others post bond to let them go. As I said, one translation speaks of them. Turning the world upside. They created so much turmoil. So I look at this story and I think, okay, Lord, why is this so important to us? Why is this such a big deal? Why were people you know, so wrapped up in this that they, they saw this was flipping the world upside down. And not only that, they cared so much that they wanted to shame these people. They wanted to imprison them. They wanted to do something. They wanted to punish them for their action. I almost hate to say this, but I've served the Lord for many years and I've been involved in ministry for many years. And one of the things that I think one of the reasons I think this causes such consternation is because there, as a people, we tend to want to just kind of float through life. We don't really want to make a whole bunch of waves. Even if there's a change or there's a transformation, we kind of want to just accept that and then go with it. One term I heard a, a speaker use was we, we put our oars up. We no longer go against the current or we're not really rowing with the current. We just put our oars up and we let the current kind of take us through life. Maybe you remember a series I did a few years ago. I won't wait for too long for any of you to you know, throw out pointers, but the, the name of the series I did was The Purpose of the Church. Okay, uh, it was out of Acts chapter two, started in verse 21. I wanna read that for you because I, I need to add to it. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 21, reading through verse 47, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs and miracles were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread together in their homes and they ate it together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now this passage I shared a number of years ago really has five main themes or main points. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's discipleship. Okay? I've asked you to read the New Testament. That's discipleship. That's what changes us. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They broke bread with one another in homes. So there's discipleship and there's fellowship. They're, they're hanging out with new believers. They're trying to get some, some new thoughts into their life, new direction into their life. They devoted themselves to prayer. They gave themselves to saying, okay, look, we need, um, Cheryl made a, a little bit of a, a mistake in the announcements this morning. Clear back in November, we decided that breakfast was getting a little bit arduous for the, for the men's group, and so what we began to do was we began to pray. Instead of somebody getting up at 4 o'clock to prepare breakfast, we just began to pray. And we've come to the point that we realize we're really not sure how we ever had time for a meal because you have a group of, uh, upwards of 30 men who get together every Thursday morning and the first thing we start doing is talking about prayer needs for each other, prayer needs for our community, prayer needs for our state, for our nation, prayer needs for churches and then we pray for about the first 40 minutes of that, of that time together and when we're done, we eat but what we eat is the word. We, we, we open up the Bible and we take that in and so our whole morning time has has changed and I got to tell you I don't think there's any of us that have 
well, I haven't lost any weight by giving up breakfast. I don't know. It hasn't hurt any of us to do that, but that's been a change. We've decided we need to push towards prayer. This community needs prayer. How many of you believe that our nation needs prayer? How many of you believe our leaders need prayer, right? Man, we're going down a road that we need prayer. We need people, not just us, but we need to, we need to press in. We need to call our, our nation, our church, to prayer. The next thing that happened with the church was they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and their goods. They ministered to one another. They served one another. And if somebody said, hey, I got a need, someone else going like, dude, I, I got you covered. Let's get this figured out. <clears throat> the final thing that we see is evangelism. Well, there's a couple more things we see. Evangelism, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Now, get this, because this is important. God didn't just add members to the church. The church wasn't just growing. We didn't just have to add on a little bit of space. People were getting saved. They were accepting Christ. They're saying, I need something different in my life, and it's not just a new group of friends. I need something new on the inside. Something inside of me has to change. I think as we look at that, what we see is really a picture of worship. If we're going to live our lives that way, discipleship, fellowship, prayer, ministry, evangelism, service, if that we, we live our lives, that's a picture of worship in our life because we all worship something. Whether you come to church on Sunday mornings or don't come to church on Sunday mornings, whether you stand with your arms raised or you don't stand with your arms raised, it doesn't make any difference. Something has value in your life, and that thing that has the greatest value is what we worship. So you can make a choice to say it's going to be God and about godly things, and so I want God to be first in my life. Now, I never said when we did this, study before I never said that this was an all-inclusive list and I know that there are more things that we could add to this but one of the things that I believe the church this is what God really put on my heart through the whole immerse um, Bible study reading one of the things that God has has just so ingrained in my heart is that you and I Beyond all these other things with discipleship and fellowship and prayer and ministry and service and evangelism, you and I are called to make a difference in this community. We are called to make a difference. One of the reasons I was so glad when Jenna called me, she's like, is there a Sunday we could do this? I'm like, hey, 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 this Sunday... We're going to talk about making a difference. How do you make a difference? I don't know. You plant seeds in 400 kids. This is a good Sunday because we're called to make a difference. Do you believe that? I think it's a scriptural model. We see it in scripture. Let Let me go one step farther. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, you know... I've been a Christian a long time, and I don't know, I just kind of thought it'd be different. I just thought there'd be, you know, more fulfillment. I thought there'd be more things. You know, we can go a long time, and if you, I'm going to start meddling now, okay? I started preaching, and I'm going to start meddling. If you've gone through Christianity and think it's all about you, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you think, well, that was a great worship service. I hope we do that again next week, just like it. That's fine. 
The message this week was really good. I hope next week's is, that's fine. But God touched me. God healed me. God delivered me. God set me free. That's fine. That's all great. God does that because he loves us. But he does it so that we will continue to share that truth with others. We are called to make a difference. Christianity is primarily not about us. Let me give you an example. Okay, Bryce, you're sitting right up front. Come on up. Uh, give my uh, young associate here a hand. Okay. Let's just say that Bryce is, oh, I don't know, how do we say this, a heck raiser in the community, okay? Maybe not. Okay, his mom's just like, no! Okay, let's just say he's a, he's a, he's, he's a kind of a, he's a decent house, but kind of a troublemaker, and, and he's got some problems, and, and he knows it, and, and the school knows it, and everybody around him kind of knows it. And he finally gets to this point where he says, okay, you know what? I've been to church long enough. I've heard about Jesus long enough. I need to accept Jesus. I need God to change my life. So he comes to the altar, and he decides to kneel down and accept Jesus. Okay, work on that, would you? I'll be, I'll be right back. I'm making a point. If, if accepting Jesus and changing his life is the primary role of Christianity, then what happens is as soon as Bryce is done, I'm not sure how we're going to do this, but jump up and run behind that, run behind the wall. Bryce just got raptured. He's done. He just went up. Whoop, he's done. Hey, hey, are you backsliding? Yeah. Come on out. I got to see where you're at. Thank you. Bryce just got his own ministry. You can sit down now. Don't, don't rebel. Bryce just got his own mini rapture because the whole point was just him coming to Christ, right? No. The goal, the purpose is now God comes into his life and transforms him and before long, he doesn't look a whole lot like Bryce anymore. He seems to reflect Jesus in his community. He kind of seems to reflect who Jesus is to his friends and to his neighbors and the neighbors that he used to steal their apples and, and you know, bomb the barn with them or, or do whatever he did. The, the little, all of a sudden, he's kind of different and he's now he's out helping the old guy mow his lawn. He's a different individual. You see, God called... <laughs> Some people have joy over that. God calls us to make a difference in the community. You and I are, I've said it before, we're plan A. So you can imagine, now imagine with me, the Apostle Paul. How many of you have read the story of the Apostle Paul? And you know, at one point in life, he kind of got knocked down off his high horse. Literally, right? Let's read that story. Happens in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul... Paul's name before he accepted Christ. Saul, who was a religious zealot, by the way, he was all about God. He was all about the rules. He was all about the law. He was all about trying to enforce this thing, so much so that anybody who decided to name the name of Jesus as Lord, or Jesus was going to be their king, he was going to be their Messiah, anybody who was going to make that change, he was like, we got to do away with them. we got to get rid of them. So meanwhile, Saul 
was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that was what they named the early church was the way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Some men traveling with Saul stood there speechless They heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. Think about it. You're standing there. You're going along. Boom. He's on his back. You're like, what's going on? Saul. Saul. Yes, Lord. And they're just looking around like, was that you? Dude, did you say anything? What's going on? How come your person, who is this? Saul is having a conversation with God out loud in the middle of the road, and everyone can, it's like, I hear your words, but I'm not seeing your lips moving. What's going on? Do you think that might have put a little bit of fear of God in them? Do you think that might have changed their afternoon conversation? I've been following Jesus for 40 years, and I can guarantee you it would change mine. Right? Right? I don't know. Take time. Read the scriptures. Take time. These men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. This is the guy who's going to go out and persecute Christians, and he's totally blind. He gets up, and he's totally blind. For three days, he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. Paul was doing his own gig, right? Just like the rest of us. We go through life and we, we kind of got, got our own plan. We got our own gig. And we tend to focus on Paul, but listen to the rest of this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Any of you consider yourself to be disciples, followers of Jesus? We've been reading the Bible, right? We consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he said. Now, this was so real in this vision that he answered God, okay? And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus by the name of Saul, where he has been praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and and place his hands on him and restore his sight. You see, God is setting the whole stage up. Saul is blind. He's been breathing out murderous threats. And God speaks to Ananias, who claims to be a disciple. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. And when he speaks to him, he says, I want you to go. You remember that Saul? You remember Saul, the one who's breathing out the murderous threats? As a matter of fact, Ananias remembered him. He says, but Lord, said to Ananias, Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief. In case you didn't know, God, just in case you're not aware, 
He's got papers to take us out. I just want to let you know, just in case. You might not know this. You got to read the Bible slower. I'm telling you, you read it way too fast. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, we read about Paul, but we don't think twice about Ananias. What about what if Ananias had said, I, I ain't going. I you say you know, but I don't think you know. I mean, you don't really know. Like, like re- you don't really know what he's capable of. And you've got to go back and check the records. And we say no, you and I, we say no to God on a regular basis. God whispers something else. We read something in Scripture that says, heart's pounding on my chest. I ought to change. I ought to do something. God, you want to do something different? And we say, that's okay. I'm not going to do that. I can tell you this of a surety. I will guarantee you this. If you continue to tell the Lord no when he prompts you in these small things, you will sit back in your chair one day and say, I was really looking for Christianity to be more fulfilling, but it's just not. We get sidetracked as individuals. I have a friend who was involved in a church when I was a young, when I was much, much younger, and this church fell into sin. The uh, pastor had uh, the pastor was uh, it was a it was a kind of young upstart church was really struggling and um but but people were coming to christ i mean we we saw people coming to christ on a regular basis uh, you know we, we started from 30 40 people the next thing you know there's 100 150 people 200 250 people 250 almost 300 people coming to church on a regular basis and there are men and women who are coming young families one young family in particular the the uh, the husband as he came to Christ, he, he, uh, he had the dream, he had a goal, he had a vision. He felt like God had given him plans to start a, a, a youth farm, a, a ranch, a youth ranch where young uh, boys could come who, who had troubles in their life and, and they just needed a place to, to learn some discipline and some chores and they needed to hear how Jesus loved them and cared for them and they needed to get out of the city. I mean, he was planning on going to churches down in Minneapolis and he, we were talking about recruiting kids from, from Chicago and we were going to do all this stuff and then all of a sudden inside of the church comes this chaos. Inside of the church comes the chaos where the pastor who was struggling with his own finances decided that it was he needed money and so he began embezzling funds out of the church. And after he began embezzling funds, we find that the, the associate pastor begins having an affair with the pastor's wife and the whole church basically imploded uh, uh, outside leadership came in to try and help get things squared away and, and things didn't get squared away and the whole thing just imploded. And I watched this man who had a vision to see God change kids' life, take that vision and go, if this is what the church is all about, I guess I'm not getting... And he put that vision on the shelf. And that vision's been on the shelf for this man for over 35 years. Hear me out. Hear me out. 
Don't worry. He can pick up a piece of paper. You don't have to look at him. He's fine. He's helping. Hear me out. Stuff happens in our life, and if we come to church and are just focused on what God can do for me instead of what he wants me to do for the kingdom, anything will sidetrack you. Anything will sidetrack you. In this case, this ministry, I believe, was a, was a God-ordained ministry, and it has totally been shelved and sidetracked. And now this man from, who did this some 35 years ago actually probably needs to go to a boy's ranch himself to get some discipline in his life and get some things straightened out. Because Christianity, quote-unquote, failed him. I had a conversation with this guy's wife recently and she said he was hurt from that 35 years ago and he's never dealt with it. You see, he came expecting God's gonna do great things, God's gonna do great things, God's gonna do, and God does do great things. But he also calls us to do what? Even greater things, right? That's what the word says. He calls us to do even greater things. How do we do that? By sitting on our backsides? by sitting on our hands, by going, well, somebody else will probably do that. God gives us a dream, a vision, a goal, a plan, a passion. Gives us a heart, want to move after something, and we're like, I'm not really sure, and and the church doesn't really back it, and so I, I, I guess somebody else will do that. And what happens is the body of Christ ends up handicapped, if you will, because these ministries don't get launched. And, and, and I'm going go, to go a step farther. You don't get to stand before God someday and say, but the church leaders said. You're not going to stand before God and say, but my wife didn't want me. My husband wouldn't let me. Do I believe in walking in unity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we go out and throw a rebellious fit in front of the church or a rebellious fit in front of our, our wives or our husbands. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to work towards something. As disciples, as followers, we need to be looking at saying, okay, God, you're, you're planting this in my life. What is the purpose and how do I fulfill it? And if I'm doing something to sidetrack that, I need you to change me, point it out. Help me get this right. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, just going to remind him, okay? That's kind of what I think this is. I just want to remind you that Jesus sent me here. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes so that he could see again. And he got up and he got baptized. And after taking in some food, he went and sat on his hands. Right? What did he do? He went back and he regained his strength. He went to see the disciples. He's, he started to get filled up. He's like, you want to change me? You want me to do something? I need to get filled up because I got to do something. We have a, a, a boatload of excuses. Ananias could have said, oh, no, 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 no. I heard about Saul. Saul could have said, oh, no, 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 no. I, God, do you realize Saul could have said, if I go and do this, they're all going to think I'm hypocrites. I've been a jerk to these guys. They could, they could 
they might come after me. That would have been a legitimate excuse, right? Probably. No, no, I, I, I can't get up and preach. I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really good at that, God. I, you, I, I don't like people. I, I shouldn't do this. I don't like people. I shouldn't do this because people don't like me. What if, what if Paul never preaches? Because it's too scary. What if Paul never testifies? Because he looks like a hypocrite. What if he never witnesses or writes any letters? What if he never addresses any churches? What if we don't end up with half of the New Testament? Because Paul decided it was just too scary. And after all, he doesn't have a doctorate. After all, you know, he doesn't, he's not, his penmanship is bad. You know how much parchment costs, God? I mean, you got somebody out there who's better qualified, who hasn't. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just kind of stay in the background. There's rules for background people, folks. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if God has called you to do something, then you need to do it. We need to move forward. God calls each one of us to make a difference in the world where we're at. And if we're just going to sit on our hands, I will guarantee you, you are going to be dissatisfied with Christianity, dissatisfied with church, dissatisfied with this whole relationship with God thing. Because I, God's, God, here's why, here's why, is because God stops doing stuff for us. Because he expects us, okay, I have a friend. I worked for a guy. Yeah, I actually have two friends. Before I started preaching. After I started preaching, I really thinned the crowd down. I worked for a guy, and his, his son was a friend of mine. I worked for this guy, and it was cold. It was 30 below cold, 35 below cold. It was cold. I'm hanging on the back of a garbage truck working for this guy. It was really cold. And the day, the next day, I... The guy picks me up for work, and we're talking, and he is, he's fuming. He's just, he's hot. He hasn't slept all night. He's so angry. When he got home that night after working on a garbage truck all day, first of all, 35 below, cold as could be, he got home, and his son was laying on the couch wrapped up in a blanket because he was too cold to put any wood in the fire. The fireplace was from me to bear away. I'm not kidding you. And he let the fire go out in the house so by the time my buddy got home. It was freezing. And it wasn't that it was so cold it's never going to recover. It wasn't that the pipes broke. It's like get off your dead butt and on your dying feet and do something. And I'm afraid that many of us, God calls us to do the same thing. And it's just too easy. All we got to do is Put some wood on the fire. All we got to do is stoke it up a little bit. All we've got to do is say, okay, God, what would you have me to do? I'm sure that the whole, <laughs> I'm sure Ananias all the way over to that house is going, dude, I'm not sure this is a good idea. I'm not sure this is a good idea. I'm, this is Saul. This is, okay, I know I got to go. This is Saul. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Look, folks, every one of us, we have struggles. We have difficulties. But if anything has been pointed out to me, if there's any revelation that I've had through reading the New Testament again together, 
This is it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. That's not just pastors. That's not just worship leaders. If you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're God's handiwork. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not for his, not to earn your stripes, not, to, not so that you get into heaven. It's got nothing to do with getting into heaven. If you're God's handiwork, if you're following him already, you're already in there. But God's created good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do, so you might change someone else's life. We're going to look at this when we get to the book of Revelation. But I believe there's a passage in Revelation that talks about God removing a restraining force from the earth. You want, let me tell you what I think the restraining force from the earth is. I think it's the church of Jesus Christ. I think we're the restraining force. I think we're the ones who say to the community, we're not going that way. We're not going to do that. That's not what God would have us to do. We're restraining. Your faith, your works, you're stepping up, you're standing out, you're doing what you're doing is holding back the enemy. I believe we hold back the very forces of hell. When God removes the church, all hell is going to break loose. But until then, it's our job to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. There may be a Saul in this community that needs you to go over and just pray for him someday. There may be a kid that needs a believer to say, you know what, I can make a difference in that kid's life. That don't make sense? You feel challenged? Good, because otherwise I got another half hour's worth of notes. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for each person here. Father, I pray that as we follow after you and we follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit, that God, you by your Spirit will lead us and you will guide us. Now, we need to hang on to that. Father, when, when Jesus went back up to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit here to lead us and to guide us, A, into all truth, but besides that, I believe, to prompt us into doing what you'd have us to do. And Lord, I pray that we would soften our hearts, we'd soften our hearts, we'd soften our hearts. As we begin to hear you, God, we begin to function. We begin to walk in that. We begin to step out. And God, I pray that as we do that, we would begin to experience this whole thing called life in Christ. And there would be a change. There would be a transformation. Lord, I believe that we're, you've put us here to make a difference. Us, other believers, you've, you've chosen the church of Jesus Christ to be your body, to be your hands and feet, to reach out to speak truth, to, to minister truth, to, to, to touch and to pray for and to, to, to help. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness, the boldness as we walk in fellowship with one another, as we disciple through your words, as we become disciples, we begin to hear and go, well, that really sounds like God, that really sounds like God, that really sounds like God, I really need to move on that. Help us to move in that truth and that life. In Jesus' name, amen.